With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Five oh five. Fifty five KRC, the talk station. Happy Friday. There it is. Got to be Friday. And a very happy Friday to you from me. And I guess Joe Strecker, too. Little woo-hoos from Joe. He hits the button on that one. And uh, obviously a big day for uh, gun uh, rights folks. An uh, interesting Supreme Court case on that. We'll talk about that a little bit. Of course, the Senate responding by uh, passing the gun bill le- or the gun legislation, which I say what you want. A lot of criticisms from a lot of folks, but uh, it really isn't as draconian as certainly the Democrats would have wanted. Nothing in there about gun grabs, but uh, expansion of background checks and uh, a lot of money for red flag laws. It's, the, the price tag for the entire bill is $15 billion, with a B, billion. And they claim that that money is uh, found money uh, from a Trump-era program regarding uh, the, some pharmaceutical rebates. But nonetheless, half of it is going to go to mental health issues. The other half is going to go to creation of red flag laws. Anyway, what's coming up on the program? It is Friday. That means Tech Friday with Dave Hatter. Frightening stuff here. Your FBI conducted 3.4 million warrantless searches of your data. Uh, something about the Constitution that just doesn't really cope with the Fourth Amendment right to be free of unreasonable search and seizures. You need probable cause and a warrant. Do you think they had probable cause and a warrant for 3.4 million searches of your data? No, you don't. It would be foolish to think that they did. BEC won't cost you much. How, how does $130 million sound? And China, in terms of getting data, probably doing a much better job of it with the FBI. It's getting your data from TikTok, as well as those QR codes that everybody requires you to scan. I hate those damn things. It, 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 during COVID, you know, the, the, they, they took our menus away from us at restaurants. I'm sure you remember that. And they'd stick a QR code on the table, and you're supposed to get your cell phone out and scan the QR code. I don't scan QR codes. It's like machete, uh, machete don't text. You know, I don't QR code. I may be uh, uh, old school. You think I'm an old man. I refuse to abide by some of these um, technological, quote-unquote, improvements. And, oh, look, I guess the Chinese didn't get my data because I don't use QR codes. Anyway. Tech Friday coming up at 6.30. Betsy Sunderman returns to the program. I haven't talked to Betsy for a little while. She's going to be talking about, in her words, the bad behavior of some of her former city council colleagues. Hmm, Tamaya Denard, Jeff Pastor, and P.G. Flippenfeld, who uh, enjoyed his second day of trial yesterday. Uh, prosecution putting on the evidence, including a lot of video and a lot of audio recordings. And at 8.30, Nicole Stell Garnett, senior fellow at Manhattan Institute, going to be talking about the Supreme Court decision on school funding. Another victory for parents and school choice. That was a great decision. And um, I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat waiting around for around 10 o'clock today when we get the balance of the decisions from the Supreme Court, uh, including that all-important case I talked about with Judge Napolitano out of West Virginia, which may, and he thinks, and I think too, 
curtail the reach of the regulatory system in the federal government. Scope of how many rules and regulations they can create under the auspices of the uh, uh, the, 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 the the power that they were given through the passage of legislation, the appropriate process going through the House and the Senate, signed by the president into law. Um, then they delegate all the responsibility for regulation writing, and quite often those regulatory bodies have uh, political agendas and environmental agendas, and they go far afield of the scope of authority that they've been given. This case will address that. And looking forward to finding out how that one goes. And, of course, yes, the abortion case is going to come down today. You heard the top of the hour news, law enforcement on high alert. That is because the leftists, the pro-abortion, the go-get-an-abortion folks um, are going to be violent. Justice Department, hard at work on that behind the scenes? Hmm? I'll let you decide if you believe that or not. And finally, George uh, Brunerman. Uh, the role and importance of the state central committee races on the primary ballot. Primary coming up August 2nd. For those trying to remember to keep track at home, um, it's going to be probably the lowest voter turnout primary in the history of Ohio State politics, given that we already had one primary. Not real high on a lot of people's radar, that one. Care to call and comment? Love to hear from you. 749-5500, 800-823-TALK, pound 550 on AT&T phones. Okay, so New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, which even gave us greater, well, solidified what I believe already were our rights established by the Second Amendment. And as time has gone on since the passage of the Bill of Rights, of course, states have done a lot of things like New York to curtail your ability to get a firearm, notably handguns. New York State, that was one of the more difficult states, if not the most difficult. You had to get approval from some person, which is really the biggest problem I face. Never had open carry was banned, certain exceptions for, like, judges, important people. You had to demonstrate proper cause, and that means special need for self-defense beyond what the general population generally experiences in terms of what they need by way of self-defense. There's all kinds of illustrations you can come up with. I think one was cited like the store owner who closes the shop at midnight and has got cash on him and has got to go through a bad neighborhood. That person sucks to be him because he's not going to get a firearm in New York. Haha, not anymore. And it's really hard to believe, and, and the left never looks at this through the lens of the everyday person who has to deal with really high crime areas, the ones that are the highest crime. Of course, the Democrat jurisdictions that have the most strict gun controls in the land. Chicago, of course, New York immediately comes to mind, California, etc. The most dangerous places on the planet are the most difficult places to defend yourself. At least the Supreme Court now looking at it through the lens of the everyday person and their ability to defend themselves in, in what appear to be more dangerous times. As the time gets more dangerous, of course, the idea that you might want to be able to protect yourself becomes an increasing concern for you. Thomas, Justice Thomas pointed out, the Constitution protects the right not only to keep, but also to Bear arms, quote, most gun owners do not wear a holstered pistol at their hip in their bedroom or while sitting at the dinner table. To confine the right to bear arms to the home would nullify half of the Second Amendment's operative protections there. And it's noted that there are already gun regulations out there. Lots and lots of states already have the ability to carry a, a, a concealed firearm or an open carry firearm, but you might have to go through some testing. And those tests and those fingerprint checks and background checks and, and the stuff that the Senate just passed the other day, they're going to stay in place. They're not going anywhere. And it was pointed out that, and they emphasized that. 
How high can the regulatory bar be raised? This is going to be something down the road. You got Governor Hochul getting all apoplectic. Oh, my God. Oh, we're all going to die. She's another one that looks at it only from the lens of the criminal having a firearm and not from the vast majority of the population that merely would like them for their own personal protection. To uphold a gun restriction, dealing with certain restrictions, Justice Thomas pointed out the government must show that it is consistent. This is in, in, in the opinion consistent with the national historical tradition of firearm regulations. He said none of these historical limitations on the right to bear arms approach New York's proper cause requirement because none operated to prevent law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from carrying arms in public for that purpose. In our nation's history, you were always allowed, at least until like the early 1900s, you were always allowed to carry a gun. Nobody questioned it. It was logical and reasonable. I mean, I hear tales from people who are a little bit older than me because I never saw this myself, and I don't think that Oak Hills High School would have allowed it, but I don't know. You know, the, the, the kids used to go to school with gun racks. I dated a woman from rural—or I, I married a woman, rather. did date her, too. Yeah. Uh, and married a woman from rural Pennsylvania. They would shut the high schools down when deer season opened because no one would be there. It's like having class on Christmas. You know, might have a couple of kids that aren't celebratory or aren't Christian, but everybody else is going to be home on Christmas Day taking the day off. Those are the kind of folks that would have gun racks in the back of their cars show up at school. You know, big deal. These gun grabs only occurred in the nation's more recent history. So he's pointing out from a historical perspective, nobody ever tried to take away your guns, historically speaking. Now, the question then becomes when you respond to Governor Hochul's ultimate re- reaction to this in, in establishing new criteria for the lawful ownership and possession of firearms, that they might get really draconian on it. And this will be a class warfare thing. And nobody's a bigger advocate of, than me of, of people that live in impoverished, high-crime neighborhoods from getting their hands on a firearm because they're the ones that have to live in these high-crime neighborhoods. They're the most likely to be a victim. So what are they going to do? They're going to tack a, a large fee. Are you going to have to go through a thousand hours of classroom training? Or you know, they, the, the Wall Street Journal said you know, a five thousand dollar fee and a thousand hours of training. They might try to put that in place in a state like New York. Ultimately, though, that is going to be deemed an overburdensome uh, uh, requirement and unconstitutional because it does deprive those of lesser means from obtaining the ability to defend themselves. So there's going to have to be some balance there. Call it a victory for those who appreciate the right to keep and bear arms, particularly notably how dangerous our society has become and how violent the left has become, too, I might add. <laughs> Not that I'm saying only the left is violent, but I think demonstrably so. I mean, we saw that throughout the uh, Antifa riots and the lockdowns and or rather and the, uh, the, the taking over of various urban areas <clears throat> during the uh, protests. Trump's gone away, by the way. You know, he's just not president anymore. <laughs> January 6th hearings continue. Uh, nobody cares. Anyhow, 516-749-5500, 800-823-TALK. Hit pound 550 on at and phones. Care to comment? I am, you know, I, this Biden thing has really got me worried. KRCD Talk Station. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Let's go, Brandon. (laughs) 
hit it, Lemmy. <laughs> Joe's comment in my headsets with regard to the um, Joe Biden, I approve this message. At least that's what the card says. And that, of course, is a, uh, a nod to what I wanted to dive on into real quick here. Um, yesterday, Biden's got you know doing his remarks. He's in meet, meeting on the uh, federal state offshore wind implementation partnership. So just a meeting like any other meeting. It doesn't really matter what the meeting was. But of course, Joe Biden's incapable of answering questions on his own. We all know he's reliant exclusively on the teleprompter, which is why he never has anything going on in the Oval Office. There was another uh, article about that. The reason he preferred going into this fake Oval Office is because it's got room for his giant teleprompter. Apparently needs one with big words on it, but he also always has notes with him, and sometimes he makes the mistake of allowing his notes to be photographed or recorded on some form of, vid- of media, right? And that's what happened yesterday. So he's got notes, and uh, he, he had talking points on a, with regard to how tall the offshore windmills and wind turbines are relative to various landmarks like uh, Eiffel Tower and Empire State Building. So he held up a separate note card later on during the, and he was reading on one side of it, but it's a two-sided card. And that's where he ran into problems with regard to people's perception of him and how far gone he is from a cognitive standpoint. They literally have to tell him. I mean, it's it's crazy. Capital Y-O-U. Capital Y-O-U. In bold letters. You enter the Roosevelt Room and say hello to participants. You take your seat with you and your in all caps. Now, does anyone out there have to be reminded or told about taking one's seat and that it should be your seat and not somebody else's seat? Press enters is noted like when the press comes in, you capital Y-O-U give brief comments and it pointed out that they should be two minutes, although it says here that he did actually end up speaking for eight minutes. No concept of time, no stopwatch there. And then it says press departs, and then right there again after that, you, capital Y-O-U, ask Liz Shuler, president of AFL-CIO, a question. And it also had a little note that Shuler was joining virtually, so he knew that she wasn't in the room, I guess. Obviously, you're asking a question, you want the person to be in the room, but he probably would have gone ahead and asked the question if the person wasn't in the room and wasn't on social media. Or virtual, uh, on virtual. You, all Y-O-U caps, thank participants. You depart. Yes, be told. Now, I've done speeches and things with events all the time, and occasionally I will, I'll write down notes, but it's notes about, you know, specific points of argument or specific points you want to make while you're addressing uh, whatever room you're in or talking about whatever subject matter. You don't want to fail to bring up certain points, and I understand that. Everybody relies on notes. But I never have to remind myself to take a seat or sit down or or greet the crowd. These are things that you just do normally in your normal day-to-day operations and passage. Ah, scary. Okay, and then you see that, and you're like, you feel embarrassed for the guy uh, on one level. But then I think if Vladimir Putin is looking at this or Xi Jinping or uh, Kim Jong-il, one of our, you know, sworn enemies, and they're going, wow, okay, uh, we've been holding off on this, say, old Taiwan invasion thing. This guy needs to be reminded to take a seat in his own chair. Hmm. 
Do you think now's the time? Should we act now with 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 great urgency, given the uh, well? With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shellacking that seems inevitable come this November and perhaps in 2024. I think we can safely say, folks, with all the negative press that Joe Biden has been getting, and also Kamala Harris, I might note, safe to say, this is my prediction, that after the November election, let's assume that the Republicans do deliver on what they anticipate and and, and, and that shellacking happens. That they're going to take him aside and say, dude, it's not your night. It's time to let everybody and his brother know that you're not running in 2024 so we can get our act together and find a candidate that is least viable. I mean, some of the candidates are thrown around now, like uh, Illinois Governor Pritzker. Good. Yeah, you should run him for president. <laughs> As everybody who can flees the state of Illinois because of the yeah the practices of Democrats, which have brought the state of Illinois down to its tragic uh, situation right now. Anyway, that's what I say is going to happen, and then they'll have two years and for maybe 40, 50 different Democrats wanting to be president, and then they'll have two years to sift it out and figure out which one is at least palatable to the American people. It's not going to be Joe Biden. 525-55-CARE, CD Talk Station. Got local stories coming up. 749-5500-800-823-TALK or hit pound 550 on 18. 530, happy Friday. We do have local stories and, uh, yeah, it, it, it is a local story. Uh, people have been around the greater Cincinnati area for a long time. Probably remember Daryl Parks. Uh, he worked here at, uh, well, in the, in the multiple predecessors of what is currently iHeartMedia, JCOR and Clear Channel. Um, real, really nice guy. And, in fact, I, I used to have a boss and he was... Daryl Parks. And I remember sitting down with him when I first started in radio and he would give you pointers and tips and how to, you know, format a show and what to talk about and what not talk about and things of that nature. Uh, but a really nice guy. His wife passed away yesterday and uh, he wrote a very moving uh, testament to his love for her and um, about her life and her smiles and how much he loved her. And it's just a beautiful, heartwarming thing. And it's just a terrible tragedy. So if you know Daryl, uh, keep Daryl in your prayers as well as his family uh, for the passing of his wife, uh, Kathy. Sad news there. Uh, do a couple of local stories before I get to uh, phone call 749-5500-800-823 talk. This is weird, man. And it, actually, this this will be a nice dovetail into the stack of stupid, which I should call today the stack of naked. Joe went out of his way to, to crack me up for the stack of stupid this morning. So wait for that. We'll do it in the next segment. Hamilton, a Hamilton lawyer repeatedly exposed himself to other drivers on I-275 and I-75. Yesterday, the Ohio Supreme Court suspended him from the practice of law indefinitely. His name? 50-year-old Hamilton resident Scott Blauvelt. Got his law license in 1997, worked as a prosecutor for Butler County and the city of Hamilton. Police caught him driving while naked five times between 2018 and 2021. And he said he actually engaged in similar behavior at other times, but was just not caught. Why are you doing that? Thanks. That was my question. The House Supreme Court previously suspended him for two years in 2020 after he pleaded guilty to public indecency and reckless operation of a vehicle. 
He started a two-year program to complete uh, to to treat compulsive sexual behavior disorder in May of last year. He said in a court hearing, "I don't want to do this, the public indecency thing anymore." Testified he believes the condition will be a problem for the rest of his life. A board, a board of Professional Conduct said in a report that with treatment, he may eventually find a way to stop the behavior, but hasn't gotten there yet. And they, quote, can't offer any assurance that he will not engage in the same or similar conduct in the future. Close quote. <clears throat> Save me from myself. Man accused of fatally stabbing a mother and throwing her three-year-old in the Ohio River. You may remember this case. Deshaun Brown, 22 years old, charged in the deaths of Nilo Lattimore and Natisha Lattimore in court yesterday on his lawyer's motion to suppress hearing on whether or not a taped confession to the police would be allowed into evidence. But before the hearing began, Nilo Lattimore's biological father, a guy named Tonio Hughes, charged the defense table and punched Brown right in the side of his head. Two sheriff's deputies restrained him, put him in custody, and other deputies arrived to assist. Investigators believe Brown stabbed his girlfriend. And I, you know what? I understand that. I certainly understand that. Now, the guy, I, I know the guy shouldn't have done it, I, 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 but you know what? I get it all day long. Anyway, Joe Dieters, Hamilton County Prosecutor Joe Dieters, is seeking the death penalty for Brown in this particular case. Investigators said Brown had planned for months to kill his girlfriend before stabbing her to death at the Walnut Hills apartment on December 5th. He waited several days, leaving her body in the apartment, then carried her out in a body bag that he ordered off of eBay. A little paper trail there. Brown called an Uber to drive him to the river, telling the driver the bag contained clothes. They believe Brown tried to throw Latimer's body into the river the night of December 11th. She was discovered at 3.30 in the morning near the Purple People Bridge on the 12th of December. Homicide detectives said Nilo's blood was found on a Paw Patrol blanket recovered with his mother's body, and his stroller was found nearby. He was arrested in connection with Latimer's death on December 12th, the day her body was discovered, and again, facing the death penalty. Let's go to the phone and see what Tom's got this morning. Tom, welcome to the program. Happy Friday. Tom? Yes, sorry about that. My lovely bride was was calling me in uh i wanted to congratulate you 30 years huh 30 years on the 26th 30 years well that's good you found you must have found a good woman and i did say the word woman you did i, I believe i'm allowed to use that that very controversial term on this uh on Not this program. The preferred nomenclature please <laughs> she it must she is <laughs> all you, she is all woman and a very traditional one in that and, and, and I, I again I've pointed out many times over the years like married out of my league yeah that yeah, she was yeah, the, the, here's the point on that like Tom that. Tom here's the point on that she has put up with me that's for be, more than 30 make. years yes <laughs> there are, that's, that's, that's why I refer to her as a good woman that's she right for 30 years <laughs> exactly right. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I had a little similar. Uh, well, your story about the uh, the lawyer reminded me of an incident that I that I had. Don't don't get carried away. I, I don't suffer from such afflictions. But uh, I worked. I was working one day, and, and it was summertime, really hot, and the job mm-hmm. wasn't air conditioned. So I went out to my to my van to turn the air on and cool off during lunch. And when I did that, I'm, I'm out. I'm in my vehicle, sitting in a parking lot. I took my shirt off. And uh, so I got the air going, and I'm eating my lunch, and I get a tap on the window, and it's a police officer. 
and and I hear the police, and it's a it's a woman police officer, and she says, "Oh, you have your, you have all your clothes on." I'm like, what? what? <laughs> Apparently, somebody in a nearby business reported a naked man sitting in the parking yeah. lot. I'm like, no, yeah, just cool it off, officer. I'm good. Well, and all I can say yeah. is, Tom, it's a good thing you got him back on before she tapped on your window. <laughs> It was just the shirt, Brian. I'm hey, kidding. you guys, have a great vacation. Congratulations, and don't vote Democrat. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Tom. Tom's, of course, referring to my taking next week off in celebration of, yes, 30 years. Talk station. Can you play John the Fisherman? 541, 55-carry CD talk station. Of course, always yes. Whether or not Joe's working the board, and he is. We honor Joe Strecker with a little bass riff when he's not here. But again, he's here. 749 talk And diving into the stack of naked. As is tradition. <laughs> and beginning in Florida. As is tradition. I was waiting for that. Okay. Court of the police, 40-year-old Ann... Core of Largo, Florida, was found naked in the bushes of an intersection by Tarpon Springs Police on Monday after an officer was dispatched for a report of a naked woman on the side of the road. Cops speaking with the subject, the responding officer smelled a burning odor and noticed smoke coming from some nearby bushes. Phrasing. Her arrest affidavit states, quote, while attempting to stop the burning, the defendant said that she started the bonfire for a celebration. Whopping amount of damage on this one, $50 in damage to the two shrubs. She was booked into the Pinellas County Jail on a criminal mischief charge. Headline, nude woman arrested for burning bush at Florida intersection. (laughs) And we go to Chicago where a woman has been charged after stealing a Chicago police squad car while naked. As is tradition. And for striking an officer. Marine veteran uh, found... uh, Police said Whitley Temple, 34, facing felony count of aggravated battery of a police officer, one felony count of resisting or obstructing police officer, one felony count of vehicular hijacking, one felony count of attempted first-degree murder, one misdemeanor count of driving on a suspended license, one felony count of possession of a stolen motor vehicle, one citation for operating an uninsured motor vehicle. Happened around 9.40 a.m. I know. Officer responded to a call of a woman lying naked in the street. Authorities attempted to help the woman as she charged and assaulted the officers, got into the squad car, and took off. Police say Temple's fleeing in the stolen police car. She struck and dragged an officer, then drove to the Eisenhower Expressway before crashing into several vehicles, eventually taken into custody by police. Officer was treated and released from the hospital. God. This one goes back to Tom's call. Headline, half-naked man driving stolen SUV fatally strikes 16-year-old West Philly. 16-year-old James Saunders fatally struck by a stolen SUV driven by a half-naked man who had been under the influence of alcohol in West Philadelphia. As is tradition. 16-year-old died when he was hit by a stolen SUV driven by a man who was naked from the waist down. Teen James Saunders dragged 100 feet after being struck by a Toyota Highlander. He was taken to Penn, Presbury, uh, Penn Presbyterian Medical Center, where he's pronounced dead. 27-year-old truck uh, SUV driver also struck a 20-year-old man who was hospitalized with a broken ankle. Police found the driver after he crashed the SUV into three cars. 
Investigators say the driver may, may, <laughs> have been under the influence of alcohol. And they're waiting for the toxicology report for that one. I think we all know what conclusion they're going to reach. Taken to the hospital with minor injuries. He stole the SUV from uh, uh, Cheatham Township less than an hour before the incident. No charge has been filed as of uh, yesterday, but <laughs> you know they're coming. 545-55 KRC, the talk station. Payne, KRC, the talk station. Tech Friday with Dave Hatter coming up at 630. Number one topic, FBI conducting 3.4 million warrantless searches of Americans' data. Not shocking me, given the conversations I've had over the years with Judge Anna Napolitano and some of the revelations that we learned from, uh, yeah, Julian Assange. Anyhow, back over to the stack of stupid and more naked. <laughs> ah, where is this one? Cleveland. Officers responded to G- This is a short one. Phrasing. There you go. June 21st, a report of a man mowing his lawn naked. You just kind of wonder what goes through people's minds. He's got a home. He's got a lawn. He's got a riding mower, and he is naked. They found him on a riding mower with only a hand towel covering his genitals. Why are you doing that? Put on shorts after officers showed up. They told him his chain link fence was not considered private. He said, I get it, and he would remain in his shorts. I don't make the rules, ma'am. I just think (laughs) them up and write them down. Over to the West Coast, police in California arrested a man seen in a video apparently dancing atop a police cruiser. Police told CBS News there that after arresting Benny Martinez, he began to kick at the rear side of the windows of the vehicle before officers could roll down the window to prevent damage. He allegedly started, uh, he allegedly shattered it by kicking it. Cell phone video obtained by local news shows him naked, screaming profanities while appearing to dance on the cruiser. Cruiser was parked As is tradition. along the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's cited for misdemeanor vandalism and released. Apparently, Joe, yes, he did break windows in the car with his bare feet. Oh, you think he was on drugs? I'm shocked. As is tradition. (laughs) Sightings of a naked man at a golf course prompted police to step up patrols in the area. Notice, Joe, it's not a tennis court. That's an inside joke, folks, and thankfully my dad is not listening to the radio right now. Man spotted by several people on the fairway, the ninth hole, a new Forest Golf Club in Lynnhurst, Hampshire, midday on Friday. He then headed towards a wooded area leading to an open forest that runs alongside the A35. Freeway officers begin looking for him and carrying out uh, reassurance patrols. In a Facebook post, local police team New Forest Heart Cops said... He doesn't appear to be a threat to the public, but our advice is don't approach him and contact us immediately. Don't need to tell me that twice. Hey, look, there's a naked guy over there walking around the golf course. Should we approach him? (laughs) A conversation no one's ever had. No. Thanks, Dad. He is listening. Naked man walking through Hanley in Stoke-on-Trent. I guess this is from, uh, yes, the U.K., naturally. Shoppers left stunned when a completely naked man was spotted walking through Hanley in the middle of the day. Temperatures were very hot. Many visitors of the city opted to keep, uh, well, wear wear shorts and T-shirts because of the heat. But one guy, described with long, flowing, dark locks, decided to take one step further, taking all of his clothes off. Shocked bystander, of course, filmed him walking through the square, Seemingly without a care in the world, nothing but his birthday suit. 
2 p.m. is when the footage was shot. Shows him taking a leisurely stroll before he gives a peace sign to surprised onlookers before moving on his way. At one point, a man in a mobility scooter came to an abrupt halt, left stunned by the sight. Security men in high visibility jackets and members of the Stroke Stoke on Trent BID team, I guess that's the police department. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Caught up with him. Described he was unfazed. Eyewitness who captured the short clips as the man had been outside the pottery shopping center before making his way to the square. 30-year-old who wished to remain anonymous said, I was at work when it happened. He was by the Albion pub, but he'd been up by the shopping center. One of my clients said he had seen him up at that end. When I saw him, I just giggled. How hard is it? <laughs> Guy says, nothing at all surprises me up Hanley anymore. <laughs> Jay, Jay, you got me with that one. Coming up, got more to talk about, got guns to talk about, got the Senate bill passed, we got Tech Friday with Dave Hatter, we got all kinds of stuff going on. Your phone calls are quite welcome. 749-5500-800-823-TALK. We'll be right back after the news. To you. My name is Brian Thomas, and I won't be here next week. Uh, Dan Carroll's going to cover for me for the week, and again, celebrating uh, 30th wedding anniversary with my beautiful bride. Lucky man am I. And uh, lots going on in the world today. We've got, of course, Tech Friday coming up at the bottom of the hour. FBI conducting 3.4 million warrantless searches of your data. Uh, China also getting your data from TikTok and QR codes. And eh, I just really have a problem with those QR codes. Of course, Dave's warned us about those things before. <clears throat> sometimes they work and sometimes they can be nefarious. And how do you know, staring at a QR code, whether you should scan it or not? Maybe Dave will tell us. Or perhaps just don't scan them. Anyhow, phone number here, 749-5500-800-823-TALK. Hit pound 550 on AT&T phones you care to call. Of course, the big uh, case yesterday, obviously, uh, Supreme Court striking down New York's concealed uh, gun law. 6-3 decision. Sounds logical, reasonable, and know the gun regulations out in the world. For example, the uh, concealed carry obligations, if your state has them. I know Ohio now is a, uh, a Second Amendment state which means you know you automatically have the right to keep and bear arms unless you're under uh, disability or suspended. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> like, sorry. Got to find that cough button, which is impossible to do when you've got 9,000 articles laying over the top of it. Apologies. Uh, but in any event, so th- there's still going to be rules and regulations. There's still going to be some states that require you to go through some training. This is specifically addressed in the case. and They're not wiping those out. Um, Justice Roberts pointed out uh, more than 40 states' laws remain valid because they evaluate applicants based upon objective criteria rather than letting some you know bureaucrat behind the scenes decide whether or not you're worthy to carry a firearm. And that's the way it was in, in New York. And how unfair is that? I mean— you, you, it's, what are you gonna leave it up to the sheriff? And you know the political p- position of the sheriff may be an anti-gun position. He won't allow anybody to have one. 
So anyway, New York, obviously one of the worst states in the, uh, in the, in the union as far as trying to get a firearm. Their, uh, well, law is no longer in effect. Governor Hochul is uh, screaming about it, Defi- described as defiant. Today, the Supreme Court is sending us backwards in our efforts to protect families and prevent gun violence. And it's particularly painful that this came down at this moment. We're still dealing with families in pain from mass shootings that have occurred, the loss of life, their beloved children and grandchildren. Today, the Supreme Court struck down all New- a New York law that limits who can carry concealed weapons. Yeah? It... It did, and it was arbitrary. Does anyone understand what a concealed weapon means? That that you have no forewarning that someone can hide a weapon on them and go into our subways, go into our grocery stores, like stores up in Buffalo, New York, where I'm from. Yeah, that's right, and that's the, that's the point, ma'am. The vast majority of us are not lawbreakers. We're victims of lawbreakers. Now, the important focus and the lens through which you should look at this is that the lawbreakers, the people who don't care what gun regulations you've got on the books, there are lots of people that get shot in New York City by people who aren't supposed to have guns under the law. The law-abiding among us fear those people. The law-abiding among us are the victims of those people. And now the law-abiding among us might very well have a concealed firearm on this. And you know who doesn't have forewarning? The criminal. And now they're going to have to pause and think, hmm, what if they are carrying? Because before I could count on the law-abiding being free from a firearm. And I could attack them without worry for my own personal safety. Now, I have no idea what I'm getting into. It could be the 80-year-old lady whose purse I was planning on taking or punching randomly or stabbing, as the case may be, in New York. Because that happens. It could be anyone. This is a point that was observed by Justice Alito because the dissent was focusing on things like, for example, the amount of crime in the world. It was Justice Alito pointed out, well, that's the point, isn't it? There's a lot of crime out in the world. And yeah, people are victims all the time. And this is the great equalizer. The firearm. You know what's weird about this case? The lawyer, the successful lawyers, just sort of a side element on the outcome of this case. Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy were the two lawyers underscore the word formerly with the law firm of Kirkland and Ellis, one of the biggest firms around very well known. I guess the clients of Kirkland and Ellis didn't like the idea that they were representing Second Amendment advocates. And so after winning, and you go to the Supreme Court, it is a rare thing. Not many lawyers make it to the Supreme Court and actually engage in advocacy on behalf of clients on a Supreme Court level. They take very few cases. These folks have been successfully representing Second Amendment uh, advocates and, and, and clients for a long time. They've been, they have jumped from a couple of different firms, landed at Kirkland Ellis, and had quite a few victories. So after this victory, this prominent win for their clients, showing the success and the legal talent of Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy, they were asked to stop representing these clients and other Second Amendment clients. And they said, no, goodbye. We quit starting the law firm of, yes, Clement and Murphy. So 
The pressure that Kirkland got came from its other clients who didn't like to be associated with a firm that had the audacity to support the Constitution of the United States of America. And, you know, they have some help and they have some uh, company there. Those people who are angry about someone having the audacity to support the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution, to which all elected officials swear an oath. Our Justice Department was pissed off about the decision as well. Our Justice Department, that will be people who embrace and appreciate and understand the Second Amendment and those who do not. We obviously have a Justice Department that does not. And the folks in the Justice Department, I do believe, swore a similar oath to uphold the Constitution. And here they are angry about the Supreme Court decision, allowing people the freedom to defend themselves. We respectfully disagree with the court's conclusion that the Second Amendment forbids New York's reasonable requirement that individuals seeking to carry a concealed handgun must show that they need to do so for self-defense. The Department of Justice remains committed to saving innocent lives by enforcing and defending federal firearms laws, partnering with state, local, and tribal authorities, and using legally available tools to tackle the epidemic of gun violence plaguing our communities. Yeah, epidemic of gun violence by people who are lawbreakers and who don't care what laws you have on the books. And what is this with reasonable requirement that you must show that you need one for self-defense? The one that, well, has been randomly and arbitrarily applied across the board. You can't get a firearm in New York. Unless you're, of course, an elected official, a judge, or someone who is friends with the, uh, the, the, the star chamber responsible for determining whether or not you do have the need to protect yourself and for self-defense. I think it should be a default rule that we all have the need for self-defense. And that's pretty much what the Supreme Court said. So this is your Justice Department. It's not politicized at all, folks. No, not, 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 not a bit. And then we get to the, uh, the, the Senate bill, which passed um, by a fairly healthy margin. Some criticism on, of, of the bill. It's not nearly as bad as it could have been, but it does expand the categories for those whom it is unlawful to sell a gun or ammunition to, including anyone convicted of a felony as a juvenile. Now, the application of this may be a little problematic. First off, lots of things are felonies anymore. And one commentator pointed out that if you're, if, if, <laughs> teenagers, of course, lack maturity. I've pointed this out before, which is why their records can get expunged. It's sort of a recognition that we're all stupid. And who among us can say that they didn't see something stupid as a young minor? And it's pointed out that the bill becomes law. A 12-year-old who joyrides in a car could find that they are never allowed to purchase a, hand, a, a firearm or ammunition. So there's some problems with that. It's also desperately false of the, the disparity or the um, ability to avoid being found to not, not be allowed to carry a firearm under this new bill is going to be fall disproportionately on the poor people. And this is something the left usually makes as an argument. Well, this is unfair to the poor among us. This is unfair to the minority communities. You know, the rich white people out in suburbia can afford good lawyers. They can get diversion programs. They can, you know, avoid being, uh, have a conviction hung around their neck. Maybe they can even have their convictions expunged so it doesn't show up on some background check. Those in poorer communities might be forced to take a plea deal. 
because they can't afford an attorney or maybe because the public defender is not quite <clears throat> adequate in terms of their zealous representation of their of, of, of their clients. Prohibits the sale of guns and ammunition to those convicted of juvenile offenses, but it doesn't explicitly ban possession, which is pointed out that that's a loophole that someone's going to have to close later. For adults who had involuntary commitments before they were 16, the bill allows firearms to be sold to them, but doesn't decriminalize their possession of a firearm. Make some sense out of that? You can't. Most significant provision of the bill, prohibition against firearm possession by those convicted of a misdemeanor, violent crimes against a dating partner. Get a load of this. This is what happens when you, when you, when you, when you write a bill in the middle of the night and you don't seek maybe a little outside help or suggestions when working through this. The boyfriend loophole. Senators who negotiated the bill apparently didn't agree on what a dating partner is. They define, quote, dating relationship as a, quote, relationship between individuals who have or have recently had the con- a continuing serious relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. Mm, three criteria were provided. The length of the relationship, the nature of the relationship, the frequency and type of interaction between the people involved in the relationship. A uh, little wiggle room in that, maybe? appreciate um, Robert Leader's commentary on this one. He's an assistant professor at Antonin Scalia Law School. He said, by by failing to define dating relationship adequately, Congress is effectively delegating the critical question of who falls within the ban. To whom it is delegated, the hard details, well, that remains to be determined. This is that whole star chamber thing. You're going to rely on someone else to make the determination of whether or not you were in a relationship to fall into the boyfriend loophole so they can take your gun away. He speculates maybe the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms will be making the determination. Maybe it'll be, um, well, courts. But he pointed out, either way, Congress has, an, has yet again handed off its responsibility for defining crimes to unelected bureaucrats and judges. He also writes, unless a specific definition exists, it's not clear how the federal government will implement this prohibition. Suppose criminal records check indicates that a potential purchaser has committed assault or battery. Well, what next? Maybe the trial record will show that the defendant was in a relationship with the complaining witness, or maybe it won't. If such information is available, how is the examiner supposed to gauge the relationship under these nebulous standards that they put in there? The available records won't likely provide the precise details of the relationship, like the length, the nature, the frequency and type of interaction, all these key critical details in the Senate bill, which won't be known to the examiner. So good luck with this one. Fifth. Uh, is it 15 or 16 billion dollars they say half of that money is going to go for red flag law creations and 15 billion dollars and half of it's going to be used to fund mental health programs which are also described in the bill with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 61955 KRCD Talk Station. Stick around. we got Tech Friday coming. 62455 KRCD Talk Station. Happy Friday. Time for a call. I'm going to go over to the phones, get Chuck's call real quick. You know, Justice Alito, in response to the dissent in this opinion, they were talking about, oh, my God, look at all the horrific gun violence. This is one of the reasons that the state interest in taking away guns from people is important. Alito says, well, the dissent appears not to understand that it is these very facts that cause law-abiding citizens to feel the need to carry a gun for self-defense. Crime is the worst in cities run by Democrats where you have the least ability to carry firearms, for God's sake. Well, that last part was me, not Justice Alito. Let's see what Chuck's got to say. Chuck, thanks for calling, and happy Friday. Good morning, sir. Uh, you partly answered my question. I was wanting to know what any of the dissenting judges had to say, because I, I don't comprehend it. Yeah, well, they, 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 when you're talking about curtailing rights uh, guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States of America, you can curtail them. All rights can be limited, but they, 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 they use what is called a strict scrutiny test. And that is balancing the government's, the state's interest in, you know, in prohibiting or limiting your constitutional rights against your constitutional rights. And if the state's interest is so overwhelming and the rule or regulation is so narrowly tailored that it does address the state's interest, then your rights can be curtailed. So they're looking for an argument, the left is, that justifies the state's interest. And in this particular argument is, oh, my God, look at all the horrific gun violence. This is a reason why we want to curtail your rights to have a firearm. And the justices are saying, no, no, that actually is a reason to have one. So that's really ultimately the point. So there you have it. We've got Tech Friday coming up at 626 right now, 55 KRC, the talk station. Sean Hannity morning update right after I'm in KRC, the talk station. It's 6.30 on a Friday. It is, of course, time for Tech Friday. With Dave Hatter from Interest IT. Interest IT responsible for sponsoring the segment. They are voted by the uh, Cincinnati Business Courier, the best IT company out there for businesses. Call them up if you got a problem. Call them up to protect yourself. Get out ahead of the problems. Right, Dave Hatter? Welcome back, my friend. It's always good talking with you. Always my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. I like the topics today. The, the, the middle topic, um, I, I'm, I'm a little confused by, but... The first one and the last one uh, are, are just really disturbing. Beginning with the first one, this is the kind of conversation I've had with Judge Napolitano quite a few times, using the FISA court to spy on Americans in spite of the fact that they don't have any probable cause to rifle through your data. But as we found out, they were being honest. I, I could not believe that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence actually reported that they spied or conducted searches on, I say spy, 3.4 million Americans using warrantless searches pursuant to the, the, the FISA uh, uh, courts. This is crazy. This is absolutely appalling. It is definitely disturbing. And now, apparently, just about half of those, maybe a little more than half of those, were all related to a Russian cyber attack. But then what is it nowadays, right, Brian? Yeah. Everything, you know. You, you would think that the Russians just, and, you know, we've well, talked about this before over the years. It seems like you know, according to the powers that be, there's nothing the Russians can't do. Um, so, yeah, 1.9 well, million of those were related you, to a Russian cyber. You, you said you said it, and it's in the article, and I even circled the word. A Russian cyber attack. A single Russian single, cyber yeah. attack resulted in 1.9 million searches of Americans' data? It's a little bit hard to understand. I agree. Sure as hell is. Um, but also, 
and we've talked about this at least once, probably a couple times. You know, in many cases, government agencies are now getting around the uh, Fourth Amendment with uh, public data that's available, thanks to everyone using all these so-called free apps like TikTok, which we'll get to here in a minute. Uh-huh. Um, because, you know, think about it. Everything is essentially a computer nowadays. And as we've said, who knows how many times over the years, you are not the customer of most of these companies. You are their product. They're making these very low cost or free devices. They're providing all these platforms and services for free or at virtually no cost because they're monetizing your data, right? You're not paying with money. You're paying with data. And because that is, you know, going to a private company, it's not, you know, a government controlled company. Uh, theoretically, or at least not a government agency, then, you know, that data brokers buy this stuff or the companies themselves sell it. And there are numerous examples out there where government agencies don't worry about warrants or, you know, the Fourth Amendment or any of that sort of stuff. They just go to these private companies and they buy the data. Yeah. So it's another reason, not that there's, you know, I guess my point is this is yet another reason, not only because it's in your interest to try to protect your data and limit your digital footprint because of the bad guys out there who will steal your money. Um, and, and you'll another example coming up here shortly of a giant theft related to this kind of thing, but also because the government will potentially buy this data and use it in ways or other companies will buy this data and use it in ways that you really could not have imagined when you decided to get that smart light bulb that you really didn't need in the first place, or worse yet. I don't know, Brian, I don't think we talked about it. There was a story a couple of weeks ago about uh, a Chinese-made so-called smart uh, coffee maker Yeah, that was basically, you know, essentially a piece of spyware. I, I brought that up on the program independent of our segment. It was earlier in the week, and I saw that. I said, maybe we'll talk about it on Friday with Tech Friday's Dave Hatter. But, yeah, your coffee maker is spying on you, feeding information to the Chinese that manufactured it, which means the Chinese Communist Party because they run everything in China. Yeah, if, if you buy a device made in China and that data and, – and it reports any data back to China – you're exactly right. You know, the Chinese Communist Party has at least potential and most likely probable access to your data. Again, we'll get to TikTok here in a minute. Um, there's nothing good that can come of that in my mind. And I mean, you know, they are not our friends. They've made that very clear yeah. here, especially in the recent past. There is nothing good that can come of you buying these cheap so-called smart devices from China, not only because your data is potentially going back to the Chinese Communist Party, but often there are just, you know, riddled with security problems. Right. And, you know, once you plug this thing in, do you know how to set it up right? Do you know how to keep it secure? Will this company continue to provide updates? Probably not. So, yeah, stop buying these things. Stop. <laughs> it's, stop buying stop. these things. You should start every Tech Friday with don't buy Internet of Things devices. Now, moving on, yes. here's another reason why. Yes. Okay, hang on. I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll go out of order. We'll jump to TikTok and QR codes, which always irk me. Another reason Dave will talk about why they should probably irk you as well. So hang on a second. We'll continue with Tech Friday's Dave Hatter. It's 6.39 here at 55 Care CD Talk Station. Being Friday, we're doing Tech Friday with Dave Hatter. Brought to you by Interest IT. All right, uh, Dave, I am not a fan of QR codes. What really annoyed me during the, well, one of the multitude of things that annoyed me during the, um, the, the the COVID situation when they took our menus away from us at restaurants and they made you scan a dang QR code in order to figure out what was on the menu. I don't, I, I, I joked earlier, if you've ever seen the movie Machete, 
uh, machete don't text. Well, <laughs> I don't QR code. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be annoyed by it. And you've warned my listeners and me quite a few times about the dangers of just scanning a QR code, not really knowing what it could lead to. Yeah, you're exactly right, Brian. So just a reminder for folks, QR codes are those funky looking square barcodes. You know, barcode technology has been around for a long time. The, the, the QR code, which again is a specific type, newer and specific type of barcode, allows you to embed more information into it than the traditional barcode. So, you know, that's the gist of it. And it came out of the automotive industry. They've been used in all kinds of innovative ways. And I mean, they can be very convenient. Um, they're especially powerful for businesses who want to track things. But, you know, as this, as this has become a consumer thing, you know, many concerns have been raised about QR codes. And there are well-known examples across the United States where, for example, bad guys will go out and print up bogus QR codes. This has happened to par in, with parking meters, and there have been numerous police departments around the country warning of this, yeah. where they have replaced the QR code on a parking meter that you would scan to pay electronically um, with a bogus QR code that takes you to some kind of bogus site and they steal your money. It's like ATM uh, 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 card readers that are placed over the top of the real keypads. They steal your data that way, too. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, as, as we've said so many times, Brian, the bad guys are very creative and very devious. And when people have this mindset of, I have nothing to steal, I have nothing to hide, um, you know, this can never happen to me. Your money is valuable to the bad guys. They will steal your money if you let them. And while, you know, QR codes aren't inherently nefarious, again, they can be extremely handy in a lot of different ways. You really need to understand that, A, the QR code literally just becomes a set of instructions to the computer, right? Mm -hmm. When you scan that thing, the computer, the phone, whatever you're scanning it with, you know, extracts that data out of there, which could include instructions telling it to do something like open up a website or make a phone call. Oh. There's all kinds of wild things you can do with a QR code other than just provide information to people. So it's it's extremely critical for people to understand that scanning a QR code that you cannot verify the legitimacy of can be quite dangerous. You know, if you go into your favorite restaurant and the waiter that you see every week hands you a menu with a QR code on it, that's probably okay because you know you know the situation you know the people but if you just walk down the street and scan a random qr code I, you may recall during the super bowl yeah there was that uh, that ad that popped up that just showed a qr code with a changing color in the background bouncing around now i didn't scan it and not yes i am a paranoid nut we all know that but like okay who's going to pay five or six million bucks to get a super bowl ad that's got some sort of malicious qr code in valid valid you know, point but but unfortunately, things like that, you know, sort of, it helps people get comfortable yes. with these things. There you go. And and lower their guard. And, you know, it's spoofing is such a gigantic problem, you know, whether it's email, whether it's text, whether it's phone calls, whether it's QR codes. It's very easy for the bad guys to create bogus versions of something that look real to the naked eye. And if you're not constantly skeptical if you don't, you kind of almost alluded to this in the last segment, have the mentality of stop, think, and err on the side of protection. Yes. You are setting yourself up to become a victim of this kind of fraud. And, you know, QR codes aren't going away. I think you're going to, they're just going to become increasingly common. Ubiquitous. Because they do make things so convenient. 
it's you know well, it's very important for people to be skeptical. Well, and also I think you brought this up before, and I'm aware I'm aware of it too. But yet more information about TikTok stealing your data, and of course the Chinese are, are behind TikTok as well. Yep, that's a Chinese company, ByteDance. A recent head, article came out. Uh, headline said that there are 80 different instances from internal TikTok meetings that show that the, the uh, Chinese Communist Party, or at least the company behind TikTok, ByteDance, Chinese company, have been accessing Americans' data. And people say, okay, so, and now there's a direct quote in there, everything is seen in China. If you may recall, uh, President Trump got very close to banning TikTok in the US. Frankly, while I'm generally against that sort of thing, uh, you know, TikTok is so, so, popular and so powerful in this space, uh, it, we would probably be better off if it would have been banned. Um, and again, you are giving up enormous amounts of information. They know like everything you look at, every second you spend, they're sucking all this data out of your device. It's all going to China. Um, you know, what are they doing with it? Who knows? But you know, many experts have raised concerns about things like this. TikTok has this for you algorithm that's dictating what you see. And, you know, there are concerns that essentially the Chinese Communist Party is using that to influence Americans yes. by, you know, controlling what you're getting. And it, even if that's not happening, and again, I mean, PSYOPs, it's, it's a military intelligence field. I was in the Army. I know this, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't they use <laughs> these types of techniques to try and influence uh, the American public? Because, again, they've made it very clear recently. I mean, you may recall, they, they pretty much threatened to go to war over Taiwan. They are not our friends. They are not our allies. We need to stop buying their products. We need to stop giving them our data. Amen. Underscore and, and exclamation point. Yes. Stop using TikTok. It's probably <laughs> even more important than the, the Internet of Insecure coffee maker you just bought. Stop using TikTok. It is a vehicle for spying, period, end of yes. story. You just think it's a social thing. The talk station. Coming up at 650, 55 KRCD Talk Station. Brian Thomas here with Tech Friday's Dave Hatter. Great question from Timothy Dave, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I do want you to give this uh, this business email compromise illustration uh, full time. But he asks a very legitimate question on the heels of our prior conversation. As I stare at a random USB stick, which has been laying here on this uh, this desk now for about a month, I would never use it. I don't know where it belongs, who it belongs to. Never use a USB stick you're not familiar with. But he said, what about a Chinese-made USB stick that's new? Have you got any concern over something like that? And then he said, well, well, and then there's the other thing. He said, what if I bought a camera made in China, and then when I hook it up, it downloads software on my computer. Is that a potential backdoor for Chinese uh, scamming and spying? So let me say first off, yes, never, ever plug anything into your computer, phone, et cetera, unless you can verify that it's legit, right? Right. Don't go into an airport and use the free uh, – free charging stations. You know, there's a whole juice jacking scam thing out there. Oh yeah. Never plug in a USB stick. But I mean that he does raise a good point. And here's my concern with this in the general sense. It's incredibly difficult to get anything that isn't from China at this point. Good point. So yeah, that's, that's the, so before I, before I make my next statement, I just want to level set here that so much of this stuff is made in China. Uh, It's very difficult to find things that aren't. I mean, you know, even components of Apple phones are made in China. It's it's hard to get anything that's not made in China. So understand that going in. Um, you know, are they building back doors into every single product they make? I, I'd like to think not. I would hope we have, you know, smart people here checking for that kind of thing. But it's possible. You know, there, there is evidence of that in some cases. 
Um, and it's certainly possible, you know, I think we've talked about in the past, you know, major concerns around military equipment and so forth that uses chips that come from countries that are not our, or at least components that are not our friends. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I don't spend the night away, laying awake, losing sleep over this concept, but it is a concern. Yeah, certainly if you download, you know, the likelihood that there's a backdoor in a USB drive is probably slimmer than the software you downloaded yeah. from a company from China. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, but it is something to think about. And in general, I would encourage you to try to buy things that aren't made in China um, for all the reasons we just stated. And then you know, the Chinese Communist Party stated they're not our friends. So business email compromise. I, this is such an important topic. We could talk about this every week, and I don't think we could talk about it enough. So here's a headline for you. FBI losses from BEC business email compromise scams surpass $43 billion. B. Billion. B. With a B. Many experts in the FBI have been warning recently that this is a bigger problem now than ransomware because it's easier to pull off. And in some cases, uh, the losses are just ridiculous. I, I Without dev, delving too deep into this particular story, there was a headline a couple weeks ago that sort of ties into this. It involves some synthetic media, you know, aka deepfakes, $35 million stolen in one heist. Um, but it, these, these kind of things are a huge problem. And the, the headline that, you know, caught Joe's attention when we were, you know, kind of deciding what to talk about, $130 million lost in a business email compromise scam. So business email compromise, it, it, it relies on spoofing. It relies on social engineering, the same things we talk about all the time. In some cases, it's, it's because people have bad credentials and the bad guys are able to get into their systems, take them over, and then send legitimate emails. So they literally are breaking into, let's say, you know, iHeartMedia and sending emails from the, the legitimate Brian Thomas account. Those are the worst kind. Right. Because they're much more difficult to determine that they're fake. But in some cases, though, they'll just spoof your email address, right? It's not actually because they broke into your account. They're just able to spoof, send an email that, for all intents and purposes, appears to have come from you, even though it didn't. And, you know, they're preying on the fact that many people don't understand that an email address, a phone number, now, unfortunately, because of synthetic media, even someone's voice may be spoofed. And, you know, in this particular case, there was a business being sold. And during this acquisition, um, the bad guys were able to convince the people paying to send the money during the during the process. They basically had them change the bank information and send the money to a bank in Hong Kong. And interestingly enough, this is the real shocker. And I can't imagine someone didn't get fired over this. They, the name of the payment went to a company called Hong Kong Wamako's Furniture Trading Company, rather than the name of the actual company that was, you know, 
That's a I mean, yeah. That's a fireable offense right there. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's pretty shocking. There's a lawsuit. Hundred and thirty million dollars loss with one business email compromise. So, so again, I want to go back to something that I'm increasingly saying when I'm doing these kind of seminars and so forth. When people tell me I'm too small, I don't have anything worth stealing, I don't have any information that's valuable. Well, your money is worth stealing, isn't it? And here's an again, if you look into business email compromise, this is happening continuously. FBI says 43 billion. They'll also tell you most of this crime is underreported. Yeah. If if you don't train your employees, you don't warn your employees, you are not yourself skeptical of anything you get, especially if it involves money, and then double, triply especially if they're asking you to change something that you've done before, there is a strong possibility you're getting scammed. Yeah. You know? And of course, if they're asking for an Apple iTunes card. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The old gift card. Scam. The old gift card. Dave, and I can happening via it's happening via text they'll leave voice messages you just you got to be super skeptical skeptical that's exactly the default position we should all be in tech friday dave hatter thank you to interest it interestit.com for sponsoring the segment and all the valuable information you pass along hopefully people are heeding it and preventing this kind of thing from happening dave thank you so much i'll look forward to two weeks from now with another segment with you i'm not sure if dan and you are going to be having a segment next friday but i'll be on vacation celebrating my 30th uh, wedding anniversary with my wife so happy anniversary brian enjoy your vacation and i'll talk to you soon i look forward to it my friend stay well 656 coming out 657 the talk station It's 7.06 at the Cloud Care CD Talk Station. Brian Thomas right here. Glad to be. Looking forward to a week off next week. Dan Carroll's going to cover for me while I uh, celebrate my 30th wedding anniversary with my wife. Happy anniversary early, 26th of June. Really uh, got lucky on that one. She, Anybody who can stick with me for that long, you, <laughs> she is destined for sainthood without question. So phone number here if you'd like to call, comment about maybe the spring. You're halfway there, Joe. 15 years. That's right. You just celebrated your anniversary, didn't you? Congratulations to Joe. Oh, with me. I was going to say, you haven't been married to Jennifer that long. But you did just celebrate your, your anniversary recently. Four years. Four. <laughs> Joe's blessed, too. She stayed with Joe for four years. Anyhow. Yeah, Joe and I have been together for, uh, this is our 16th year uh, of him producing, executive producer of the show, and me being here behind the mic uh, after my father retired. You are well. You're more than a mini Saint Joe. You're yeah. If you stuck with me for that long, same as my wife. Anyhow, seven four nine fifty five hundred eight hundred eight two three. Talk hit pound five fifty on your AT and T phones. Care to call six three decision? New York State Rifle Pistol Association versus Bruin has uh, brought back the Second Amendment to the citizens of New York, as well as several other states who have draconian uh, or had up until yesterday draconian gun laws, where some pub uh, some official behind the scenes made the determination of whether or not you were worthy to carry a firearm. So the point being that um, under Second Amendment jurisprudence, you should be looking at the framers and the, and, and, and the time period and at, at the time the Second Amendment was passed, which allows you to take a gun with you. It's the right to keep and bear arms, Justice Thomas wrote. And if you take away the whole bearing part out in public, then you've taken away half of the Second Amendment's point. They didn't have these laws and rules back then. 
People were no one would think weird. It would weird that you had a firearm with you out in public up until like the 1900s when some of these laws started going into effect. So, as uh, Justice Thomas wrote, you know most gun owners don't wear a holstered pistol at their hip in their bedroom or while sitting at the dinner table to conf- to confine the right to bear arms to the home would nullify half of the Second Amendment's operative protections. Now, some are wondering about, well, you know, what did the dissent have to say? Well, the dissent focused on gun violence. They started out with, it was Justice Breyer writing on behalf of Sotomayor and Kagan, in 2020, 45,222 Americans were killed by firearms. The point being, you know, history shouldn't govern the Second Amendment application, he wrote. It's constitutionally proper, often necessary, to consider the serious dangers and consequence of gun violence that lead states to regulate firearms. And I talked to a caller earlier who was kind of confused about that. You can pare down or pare back your constitutionally protected rights under Supreme Court jurisprudence. But the state has to show a really damn good reason why. And the laws that they put in place must be narrowly tailored to achieve the state's focused, um, uh, 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 compelling interest. So the argument for putting these guns in place is look at all the gun violence. We need to do something about it. Let's pare back, take away, or otherwise deny people the right to keep and bear arms. That is the state's interest. Now, you and I can reasonably step back from that argument and say, what the hell are you talking about? The places where you have the most prohibitions on ownership of firearms are the most violent places on the planet. You're not doing a damn thing to help and protect us. So by taking away rights... They haven't achieved the goal that their interest, their, their stated interest is, and then the, and and the taking away is so broad that it is not narrowly focused enough under Supreme Court jurisprudence to pass muster. Therefore, the law is not valid. And Alito made this point in response to this: What what does this gun violence talk about? It, the dis- quote, the dissent appears not to understand that it is these very facts that cause law-abiding citizens to feel the need to carry a gun for self-defense. It's the lens through which you look at it. The left anti-gun crowd, the want to take your guns away, always looks at it from the point of view of the criminal. Evil people are going to kill you, and uh, we need to get the guns off the street. Does that ever happen? No. Because criminals always find a way to get guns, and criminals are the ones who are be, or would be willing to do grievous bodily harm to you or kill you. And so out in the real world, where the vast majority of us don't commit crimes, we are a fearful of those criminals. We have no way to adequately protect ourselves if they take our white rights away, at least to you, for, for deadly force through a firearm. So the, the, the rest of us out here going, wait a minute, you're not doing a thing to help us, you are making it worse for us, and you're giving a safe haven for the criminals. They know where people can't have firearms. Welcome to Chicago. Welcome to New York City. Welcome to California, generally speaking. That's the easiest place to get away with it without worrying that the person you're attacking is armed. Well, now they have something to consider, don't they? The criminals of the world are going to be out there going, well, wait a second. If I, if I, if I run up and want to punch somebody in the face randomly or walk up to someone and just stab them, that person may be responding with deadly force. I'm not giving these types of criminals the benefit of the doubt that they'll actually walk through that process, considering so many of them struggle with some serious psychological issues. They not, may not be capable of, of rational thought, but a lot of them are. And what's more important to you when you're out in the world with people who are not capable of rational thought who would come up and stab you than being able to adequately defend yourself? I mean, this is the point. 
And it's the point, and it is solidified and law. Now, 6-3 to three decision yesterday. New York's going to have to deal with it. And Governor, Governor Hochul of New York, this is so funny, and she got raked over the coals for this one. She said, I'm sorry this dark day has come that we're supposed to go back to what was in place since 1788 when the Constitution of the United States of America was ratified. And I would like to point out to the Supreme Court justices that the only weapons at the time were muskets. I'm prepared to go back to muskets. Oh, okay. Some may be going, yeah, that's true. Well, okay. Well, how about some of the responses from people? (laughs) Washington Times columnist Tim Young's response. Well, if Kathy Hochul's security detail doesn't set an example by switching to only using muskets first, then she can, well, F right off. Uh, Trump senior advisor Stephen Miller. Uh, will the criminals, uh, will the criminals r- r- ramping freely across New York be going back to muskets as well? Also, out of curiosity, what medium is Hochul using to broadcast this message, and did it exist in the 18th century? Of course, a reference to the First Amendment free speech, the fact that you had to stand out of the square to get your message out or otherwise create a pamphlet and distribute it. Good points. Let's go to the phone. It's got Corey on the phone with a comment. Corey, welcome to the program, and a happy Friday to you. Yeah, morning, Brian. Uh, I'm going to break out my old buckle gun now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, this, I think the ruling is a step in the right direction. Uh, I think what they need to tackle next is these gun-free zones. Is that's that's what these states are going to resort to. They're just going to broaden the expand of uh, the gun-free zone to criminalize people for carrying in there, uh, resulting in them becoming felons and then putting them on disabilities. I know I've said uh, yeah. I've called in before in the past and said I think that's their ultimate goal is to make virtually everything you do some form of a felony or another to put you on disabilities yeah. since they won't be able to ban guns. Well, that's that's one of the concerns from the Senate gun bill that passed yesterday is that the 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 sort of loose guidelines for ta- for depriving uh, a person of a firearm under these mental health provisions that are in there. Uh, and, of course, the application of them may be very difficult, and it may be a disparate application. You know, poor people may be more uh, harshly impacted by those than the affluent who can afford good lawyers and, you know, good mental health treatment and, of course, getting their records expunged. So a lot of layers on, on the response to it by the Senate. But, yeah, I agree with you. They certainly will expand gun-free zones. There's no question about it. And I suppose that'll just be like the abortion question. It depends on which state you're in, the the, the, the number of and the, the, the breadth of those gun-free zone environments. And some of those, I suppose, will be tested down the road as well. There's going to be a whole bunch of reactions from states like New York and California and Illinois. They're going to try to put into place like training requirements. You'll have to go through a 1,000 hours of training. You're going to have to pay a fine of you know 8000 or pay a, a, a price of $8,000 to the state in order to acquire the appropriate documentation to have that firearm that you're allowed to have now. So there will be further challenges and tests to the new laws and the reactions to this. But fundamentally, you're allowed to have one and ultimately regulations are not verboten under the supreme court's case they said it straight out you can still have concealed carry license requirements you can still have gun free zones that hasn't changed you just can't have an arbitrary and capricious random dude behind the scenes deciding whether or not you're worthy of having a firearm good to hear from you Corey. very happy friday to you I hope you hang on we'll get your call folks you can feel free to call 749-5500-800-823 the talk station 
721 to 55 KCD Talk Station. Bottom of the hour, Betsy Sunderman. Bottom of the next hour, Nicole Stell Garnett, Senior Fellow at Manhattan Institute on the Supreme Court decision on school funding, which is a great decision as well. And then George Runneman uh, about the role and importance of state central committee races on the primary ballot. That in the next hour, let's go to the phones in the order in which they receive. Opie, welcome to the program. Thanks for holding. Hey, happy Friday to you. Thanks, man. You and, and you as well. Uh, I was in a small town mom and pop little greasy spoon restaurant the other week, which those are my favorite kind of places, you know, where you can yep. get real good, real good country fried steak with real gravy. And, you know, and you can hear your arteries hardening as you're eating it. Amen, brother. Always support your local joints. Get to oh, the point. Yeah. Get, let's get to the uh, point. Up. I got another caller online. I do want to get to him. So go ahead. They had a sign on the door that said, if you are a law abiding with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gun-carrying citizen, you are welcome. If you are a criminal... Please leave your gun in your vehicle because we don't want you to get hurt. <laughs> I like that sign. That's a good one. It's better than the no yeah. guns permitted in my establishment signs. I know a lot of my listeners that will not frequent any establishment that has those signs in the on their door. So keep going to the local joints, Opie. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend, my friend. Let's get to Andrew Pappas who's got a comment. Drew, welcome to the program. Hey, Brian. Good morning. You're missing a you're, you're going to come out of work to a beautiful day. But um, I understand you talked about it this morning already. So forgive me. But um, I want to remind everybody, if they haven't seen the picture, scary of the notes provided to Joe Biden for his meeting, uh, a drop in meeting that he was going to drop into. Um, you need to get on the Internet or at least uh, Google it and check out his notes. I mean, uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's mind boggling. It's... I immediately thought of Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping and all of our foreign enemies looking at that reporting and going, yep, it's time to launch the invasion of Taiwan or whatever. You, all in caps, Y-O-U, these are notes to Joe Biden that his people gave him. You, enter the Roosevelt Room and say hello to participant. You, all in caps, take your all in caps seat. It says press enters. You, give brief comments. And then he talked for eight minutes when it said two minutes in the parentheticals. And then it says, you ask Liz Shuler, president AFL-CIO, a question with a note that Shuler was uh, joining of virtually. I mean, you thank participants and you depart. These are very specific instructions that a sane, rational thinking human being would not need. I don't need to be told to, to say hello when I walk into a room. What note do they? What 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 schedule of events or what note do they give him? Cheat sheet, I guess you'd call it, because that's kind of the term. But what cheat sheet do they give him when he goes potty? I'm just wondering. You put the seat down. This <laughs> 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 insanity, man. This no. is the leader of the free world. It is. Walk, 
You right. breathe. I mean, come on. You, right. You blink. I mean, no, and think about it. This no, is insanity. The other level of that is the idea that Y-O-U is in capitals. They're his notes. He has to be reminded that he is the person to whom the notes were written for. Why did it just say, take your seat? You know, you take your seat. Not Don't don't direct a member of your staff to take your seat. I, I mean, what in the hell? This is frightening, man. I mean, it's... Hey, man, he got the mo- you got the most votes in the history of the presidential election. You won the race. I mean, it's just it's insane. Yeah, it's just enough to make you go batty. Forgive it, my giddiness. No, but, I mean we've reached the end, man. This is it. Well, and all of the reporting of late, left wing, right wing, you know, mainstream media—they're all going after his age, his 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 seeming dementia. They're being more honest about it. They're all talking about alternatives. And so I, I've already predicted my tea leaves say that after the November election, assuming the Republicans give him the shellacking that they deserve, that he is going to announce that he will not be running for president. So they have two years to find someone remotely plausible uh, to run against um, probably uh, the the Florida governor at this point. So um, they're going to hey, be man, they're going to put they're going to get Kamala in there because she's, nah. she's another one that's worth watching her her her, her uh, speeches are. Truly epic. I they, mean, they're, they're, they're something that'll make you giggle. And you know, you are right there at GOPjudges.com. So, Alex, there you have it. I, I, I put a spot in for the for the webpage. Now. <laughs> yes, that'll make him very happy. It will. Yes, with everything happening nationally, I think people might actually take the judicial races seriously for once this year. I would like to think so. Now, I mean, along those lines, though, when people think about that and the, and the problems we're having with um, the judiciary, it usually falls along discussion lines of criminal cases where the judges aren't aren't you know the bond are, are low bonds or no bonds even with very violent criminals with criminal past they're not pushing them for firearms charges they're they're giving very light sentences or releasing them on parole even for heinous crimes i mean that's one element but that's all involving criminal does that creep over into the domestic relations court by in any way shape or form <laughs> Yeah, I mean, every court touches that stuff. In domestic relations, uh, we do domestic violence protection orders. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's criminal-ish. And even in probate court, where I work right now, where I do, I preside over the mental health court, when we probate someone, meaning putting them in a psych facility uh, so they can get treatment, they're then put on a list where they can't buy a gun anymore. And if they if they do buy a gun, then they're charged with a felony. So, I mean, all these things are intertwined. Oh, and that's a very important thing, considering the uh, the Senate just passed that gun bill, which has a lot of elements involving juvenile crimes and searching juvenile records, as well as protection orders in the so-called boyfriend loophole, which if you read the language in the bill, it's it's really uh, it's convoluted as hell. And it leaves open a lot of questions like, well, who's going to decide whether or not the relationship was sufficient enough to, to fall within this so-called boyfriend loophole. But I more importantly want to ask you about ex parte hearings. That's when you as a judge or a judge deprives a person of perhaps property or rights, in this particular case, gun rights, without you being present, without your without counsel there. Does that happen often in domestic relations court? I mean, with all protection order hearings, first there's an ex parte hearing, and then there's a hearing where the other party has been served. So you would never lose any rights permanently ex parte. 
So if you get a restraining order, uh, ex parte, a protection order, and and then obviously you have a follow up hearing where the, uh, the the let's say the husband uh, gets an opportunity to speak in between the initial ex parte order and the actual final hearing. Um, can that person be uh, deprived of liberties such as the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms? No. I mean, usually, the well, I shouldn't say no. I should say it depends which box is checked on the protection order. Ah. Um, right. But the protection orders don't go into effect until the person is served with it. So it's not like the court would just make an order and hope the other person knows that maybe someone filed a protection order. That's not how it works. But in probate court where I work, I don't know if all the people know that they're not allowed to have guns. Um, there are a lot of penalties when you go through court and you are, you know, either probated or convicted of a felony. You know, there it affects your right to vote, um, your ability to have a weapon. And I don't know if the defense attorneys are always telling their clients all these different ways it can affect them. You can be deported, you know, all these different things. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know if people are aware of everything. That would be nice if... <laughs> If someone had to tell them, yeah, it seems to be part. It should be part of the educational process. You know, the whole idea of constitution, due process, uh, protected rights, and that kind of thing. All right, well, let's pause. It's Sunderman, S-U, uh, Betsy Sunderman, with two ends on the end. BetsySunderman.com. If you want to learn more about the campaign, you can donate there. You can volunteer. Learn more about what her experiences and uh, what her uh, thoughts and views are about domestic relations. Coming back, I know you have a, a, a few comments about your former council members. Uh, Involved in a bit of uh, legal problems and challenges. We'll hear from Betsy on that one, considering PG Sittenfeld. Judge for Judge, Betsy Sunderman for Judge, domestic relations judge. You have an opportunity to vote for her in November in uh, GOPjudges.com for all the judicial races. And Betsy Sunderman with two N's dot com for Betsy's race. Now on to your former council members. Looks like PG Sittenfeld had to get listen and uh, watch a whole lot of his own recordings. I guess the FBI played video and audio recordings that were captured by the undercover FBI agents who were posing as developers. Uh, in yesterday's court hearing, um, you had an opportunity to work with PG as well as Tamaya Denard and uh, Jeff Pastor is also facing his own legal struggles. I thought my understanding is you have some thoughts and comments on your former colleagues, Betsy. So I got appointed to city council a few days after Tamaya Denard got indicted. So I was, I got her office. Um, so I thought, oh God, my office is definitely bugged by the FBI. <laughs> Actually, every time someone got indicted, I got a new office. So I got three different offices while I was there. So every time an indictment dropped, I called my chief of staff. I said, go get that office. Um, but yeah, so we were all kind of on high alert. And then Amy Murray, whose place I took on council, gave me great advice. She said, when you meet with a developer, always have a member of your staff with you. Never, ever, ever meet with a developer one-on-one. -on -one. So I did that. And I've never met with a developer about city business or anything um, by myself. So I think that would protect a lot of people. Yes, it would. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is that I never, ever, ever discussed donations and city business in the same conversation, ever. So, I mean, this has to be a divide. You can't have someone come into your city hall office to discuss donations. You have to separate business 
and finances. So I think because I'm a lawyer, I mean, you probably know this, we are, we have the ethics rules drilled into us. Oh yes. We have to go to a certain number of hours of training every two years and lawyers are terrified to break the law with ethics. So I wish non-lawyer politicians had that same fear. I wish they had ethics drilled into them all the time, um, but they don't. So I don't think they are as terrified. And I also think that there's this whole mentality that if a few of your closest friends do something, you think everyone does. Yes. And And we see this in court all the time where a judge will tell a defendant, you know, your record is terrible. You're going to get a higher sentence. And the person says, well, everybody has a felony. What's the big deal? You know, (laughs) or everybody does hard drugs or everybody, everybody drives drunk. What's the big, why am I, why am I the one to get caught? You know? Right. And just because your little circle of friends does something doesn't mean that everyone else does that. And I can tell you that most of the people on city council, I don't think we're combining donations and city business. I think it's a, it's a small handful of people and it's been going on for hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is not a new thing, but I think politics draws people with those personalities. Yes, already. it does. Malignant narcissists, people who uh, believe that they know the answer to all of your personal issues and questions and can control every aspect of your life. Those people frighten me, Betsy. They really do. And that's why I'm always you know, telling my, li- my listeners, it's like, why would you want to hand life's decision making over to someone who knows nothing about you or your circumstances? And when these people are like, I know the answer here, just do this, just do this. And one size fits all sort of mentality. It never works, and uh, it is the, uh, the, the, the device of those malignant narcissists who do seek higher office. Betsy, it's great talking to you. I wish you the best on the campaign. Remember, GOPjudges.com and Betsy, uh, BetsySutterman.com. Until we speak again, best of health to you and your loved ones, Betsy. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You do the same. And, and thanks to Larry's LockSafe and Security for sponsoring the segment. It's Crime Stopper Bad Guy of the Week. 805 here at 55 Care City Talk Station. A very happy Friday to you. Brian Thomas is my name. Joe Strecker, the executive producer of the program. And a good talk with uh, Tech Friday's Dave Hatter earlier. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, it's just such an important uh, segment. Talking about the FBI spying on us, warrantless searches, uh, business email, uh, costing you a lot of money when they hack into that and pretend to be somebody else. Some real great illustrations. Then finally, stay the hell away from Chinese products if you can. Do not use TikTok. And be very, very wary of QR codes, uh, Chinese stealing a lot of data. And that, of course, means the Chinese Communist Party. Of course, a lot of admonishments about you don't think that just you don't have anything to hide and I'm unimportant and nobody wants my data. That is not true. Also, don't buy Internet of Things devices. That's a half hour of Dave Hatter summed up in about a minute and a half there. But uh, check out the podcast and his notes on my blog page, 55KRC.com. Always nice talking to Betsy Sunderman, which did previously. Just tuning in, you can get that podcast about uh, her judicial race as well as um, counsel behavior and ethics. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, Nicole Stell Garnett, Senior Fellow at Manhattan Institute on the wonderful Supreme Court decision on school funding. And George Brenneman follows Nicole to talk about the role uh, and importance of state central committee races on the primary ballot. Got another primary coming up August 2nd. I know it's flying underneath most everybody's radar, but your vote is going to mean a lot in that primary. I'm pretty confident that it's going to be the probably record low turnout on that one. Of course, the big news out of the Supreme Court yesterday, and we're all sitting on the edge of our seat for the balance of the opinions to come out today, most notably the uh, decision on abortion. 
And I, you know, I was listening to top of the hour news, and obviously law enforcement's on heightened alert. People have a good idea of which direction the Supreme Court's going to go because of the leaked opinion that Alito drafted. So assuming they didn't get frightened away or change their opinions, you know what's coming. But top of the hour news talking about law enforcement expecting violence from both sides of the argument. I guess I have to ask, you know, it's it's my I, I struggle with the idea of pro-abortion folks attacking clinics, providing pregnancy services for women who don't want to get abortions. I mean, this those places have been around for a long, long time. And if a woman isn't interested in getting an abortion, why would you attack the facility that's pro- providing them with health services? What possible good what possible good can come from that other than making you look like a violent person going after someone who is not interested in getting an abortion, which makes me think that your position is you'd hope that they would get an abortion. And it does make you an award winner. Good good point, Joe. Absolutely. It makes about as much sense as that crazy kid attacking elementary school children because he had some mental health problems. Killing children who had no connection to his life. So I really question the whole idea that there's going to be violence on the part of those who view this, you know, constitutional reality that is a state issue, not a federal issue, uh, that, that, that the folks that are going to be happy about it aren't going to be inclined to commit acts of violence. Against whom would they commit acts of violence? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, some people are going, well, there have been, you know, abortion doctors have been killed. And yeah, and I would say the same thing about people like that. You know, you don't go taking the life of another human being because you disagree with what they're doing. Advocacy is what you need to do. And of course, advocacy and, you know, fighting against abortion laws led this to the Supreme Court decision that's coming out today. And you'll continue to advocate and vote for uh, leaders that are either for or against restrictions. Maybe they're not going to be in favor of any restrictions whatsoever. Then, you know, New York City and New York State, definitely. You're always going to be able to get an abortion there. Some states go the exact opposite way. And I've made the point before, it's now a campaign issue on a state level. And this is going to this is going to be, I think, a little bit more of a challenge for Republicans running on a pure pro-life, absolutely no abortion position, because statistically that is not on the majority side of how most people view it. Now, that may run afoul of you. It may run afoul of your religion, but it just happens to be a fact. I mean, the polling on that has been very consistent over the years. So if you're anti-abortion, fine. That's that that's great. But most people believe that there should be abortions, at least under some circumstances. So it's going to be a very complicated matter. And again, assuming the Alito opinion is exactly or very close to how it ultimately comes down. But that's not the only one that's supposed to come out today. There's some other really important ones, most notably the case out of, I believe, West Virginia, that may go a long way to reducing the scope and power of those unelectable, unelected, behind-the-scenes regulators that you know create rules and regulations on the fly without any oversight and that have a dramatic and profound impact on our day-to-day lives. So many cases coming out today, but of course the Supreme Court struck down New York's draconian law 
the one that said you had to ask for permission to get a gun, and he needed to show proper cause. And that has been interpreted previously as a special need for self-defense beyond that of the general community or of persons engaged in the same profession. So if you can't show that you're an outlier in this violent world in which we live, then you're never going to get a firearm in New York. And that was the subject matter of yesterday's opinion. And in a 6-3 ruling, they said, no, that violates the Constitution. You have to be able to bear arms outside of your home. Now, the scope of laws limiting that to certain places, the idea that you need to have some training, like, for example, the way Ohio used to be with their concealed carry license obligations were constitutional carry now, so you don't need to get one anymore, although I still would recommend you do. Uh, but those are still in place. Those aren't going to be impacted. And there will be more of them, and some of them will be tested in court down the road. And, of course, yesterday's um, passage of the gun law in uh, the Senate provides a vehicle for some of those additional protections, notably red flag laws and the so-called you know, boyfriend loophole, which I, there's been some criticism levied against that one. I saw a wonderful analysis by um, uh, uh, the uh, assistant professor at Antonin Scalia Law School, Robert Leader, and he focused on that one because when you play fast and loose writing legislation, you end up with poorly written legislation. And with the lightning speed that they threw this thing together, it's because they had to do something before they went on, you know, Independence Day uh, holiday. They had to prove to the constituents they did something. So going to the, the, the boyfriend loophole from the Senate bill yesterday that passed, most people don't have any concept of how you're going to fit into the category of boyfriend loophole. What, what is a relationship? What is this dating partner? And it's, it's, they call it a boyfriend loophole, but, you know, in these times when, you know, loosely defined sexual uh, identities, dating partner, what is that which, which could result in you, the dating partner, being the subject of a protective order, restraining order, you get convicted of violence against your dating partner, it reaches out to get you even though you're not married. So how do they define dating relationship? They, they they really don't. <laughs> this is what's in the Senate bill. Dating relationship is a relationship between individuals who have or have recently had a continuing serious relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. And they provided three criteria that whoever is going to consider this, and that's a foggy area as well because they don't say or define who is the person or people or star chamber that is going to decide whether or not you fall within the category of dating relationships such that your Second Amendment rights could be taken away from you because of something that happened with you and your dating partner. They say length of relationship should be considered, nature of the relationship, and the frequency and type of interaction between the people involved in the relationship. Hmm says it means that a continuing serious relationship will be some function of quantity of dates, length of time, physical intimacy, but they're vague, and they don't provide a fair notice to someone who might fall into that category, and, of course, susceptible to inconsistent application. So he points out that by failing to define dating relationship adequately, they've effectively delegated the critical question of who falls within this band to some entity, but that remains to be determined. He said, you know, it's going to be the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, Explosives, which has regulatory over, fire, over firearms. Is it going to be a court hearing to decide the issue? 
When they look at your records, if you've got a criminal record involving violence, are they going to try to find out if the person you committed a violent act against and were convicted of was a dating partner? How are they going to go about finding that out? There's a lot of layers and difficulties in this, and it's going to be the subject of, I believe, further litigation down the road, most notably in the area of due process. 815-55 KRCD Talk Station. Stick around. More to talk about. Maybe even do a plague update. I have an interesting stack of plague updates. Might do that to uh, wind down as we get to the balance of the guests in the program. But I want to mention Infinity of Cincinnati in stock station. 819. The 55 KRCD Talk Station. I am going to do a plague update. Joe, listening to my suggestion, launching the Plague Update theme song from Anthrax. One of Joe's favorite bands, Caught in a Mosh. And here we go. Of course, I'll get to Monkeypox. You knew that one was coming, but how about Super Gonorrhea? I brought this up before, and apparently it's getting to be a bigger problem. They have a story about an Australian man in his 50s been infected with Super Gonorrhea. Cannot be treated with common antibiotics. This, and don't do this. She reminded me of the Saturday Night Live routine. Bad idea. I figure, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to come back to Haiti, so why use a condom? This was when the HIV outbreak was uh, a very big thing in the 80s. So we go to unprotected sex with a sex worker in Cambodia. That's what the guy did, and he caught super gonorrhea. Five days after having unprotected sex with the Cambodian sex worker, he was seen by a urologist because of uh, some symptoms, painful urination, discharge, etc. Um, the antibiotics didn't work. Ultimately, they were able to get rid of it, but uh, this has come on the radar of the World Health Organization, which calls this the Q strain. First case of super gonorrhea uh, found in 2018, uh, followed by a couple more cases in Australia. All cases also had links to Southeast Asia. They say if such strains manage to establish and sustained transmission, many gonorrhea cases might become untreatable. That is a frightening reality. And gonorrhea is the second most common sexually transmitted infection worldwide. World Health Organization says 82 million people were infected with gonorrhea in 2020. And of course, antimicrobial resistance is a huge concern for them. So gonorrhea developed antimicrobial resistance at the beginning of the 20th century, and it continued to expand since then. So put that in your uh, in, in the back of your mind if you're out uh, maybe considering having unprotected sex with, well, any kind of sex worker. But apparently Cambodia is not the place to go. Then we go over to monkeypox real quick. Last week, World Health Organization Director General Tedros Anom Ghebreyesus. Talking about the monkeypox infection, uh, identified now in more than 40 countries, mostly in Europe. They're calling it unusual and concerning. But people are calling this declaration of a maybe world health, global health emergency a bit racist because apparently monkeypox has been floating around Africa for decades. Decades. I'm like, well, wait a second. Is now you're only declaring it a world health organ a world health emergency because, well, European countries are getting it now. So there's that aspect. But you go to uh, New York City, there are vaccines for monkeypox already out there, and they've already established some walk-in clinics for free vaccines. They got overwhelmed and ran out of appointment times in New York City the other day. 
Demand so high with hours on launching the program, the city had to cut off walk-in appointments and scheduled visits were already booked through next week. 30 people have already tested positive in New York uh, since May. Most of them men who have had sex with men, and the number of cases has risen 60% over the past week. In New York City, representing more than 20% of all cases nationwide. So uh, mind your P's and Q's if you're having sex in New York City. Unbelievable stuff. You think this is going to be the next one that's going to impact our elections, Joe? Are, 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 are we, we going to have, um, like, ballot harvesting and, you know, paying fast and loose with the election date because monkeypox is surfaced? Just asking for a friend. Let's go to the phone. We've got Dave on the phone. Dave, welcome to the program, and a very happy Friday to you. Well, thank you. A uh, little slide back here. Reversal on monkeypox. Yeah. That's okay. I think as long as you stay away from international gay orgies, you're probably going to be okay. Um, that. So, so another tip for the guys out there, keep it in your pants until you're married. Well, there's that. I mean, that, that may be a lofty goal that will never be achieved, but at least if you're out having sex, you might want to protect yourself with a uh, condom. So let's just put that out there and state it out loud. Anyway, not that that, may, that, okay. not that, that is necessarily going to prevent you from getting monkeypox. I don't know how, how <laughs> it's spread, but it's clearly spread through unprotected sex. That is absolutely a fact. Okay, well, I'll let other people do their own yeah, research I know. and figure out why. So <laughs> That's the suggestion. But I called I called uh, to tell Joe I was coming out swinging in favor of gun control, but this is my version of gun control. I, I'm in favor of gun control. I think you should have a really tight group at a really long range, and you should be laser-focused on that. And I think you should practice enough so that there is no such thing as collateral damage. And, and you hit exactly what you shoot at. You should be able to control the trigger so that you release the projectile just exactly on to hit what you're, hit, what you're shooting at and, uh, and not hit which, anything else. Which is why the modern sporting rifle, which the left loves to call an assault weapon, is one of the better uh, firearms to own because they are extraordinarily easy to do exactly what you were talking about. They're easy to shoot. They have very little recoil. They're easy to fire. They're easy to hit the target you're looking at. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, they have significant firepower, so they achieve the ultimate goal of protecting you when you need it. That's why they want them banned, Dave. I'm convinced of that. It's just because they are so much easier and more accurate than, you know, traditional firearms. My point, anyway. 825, 55 KRC Talk Station. Moving away from my points and getting the points of Nikkel Stell Garnett. She's going to senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Going to be talking about the Supreme Court decision on school funding. That's up next. Hope you can stick. I'm on 55 KRC, the Talk Station. 830, 55 KRC, the Talk Station. A very happy Friday to you. Brian Thomas right here. Happy to welcome to the 55 KRC Morning Show, Nicole Stell Garnett. Nicole is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, she is a book author, written a couple of books, as well as numerous articles on education, policy, urban development, and land use planning. She's the uh, John P. Murphy Foundation Professor of Law at the University of Notre Dame. Very popular on the west side of Cincinnati, University of Notre Dame. She's also a, a fellow for the Institute of Educational Initiatives and the Senior Policy Advisor for the Alliance of Catholic Education. And I am just as impressed as I can be about her resume, which I'd love to read the whole thing. But she also was a law clerk for Associate Justice Clarence Thomas, who we all know well. Welcome to the program. Nicole Garnett, it's a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I talked earlier this week with Judge Anna Napolitano. He appears on my program every Wednesday. And uh, one of the cases we talked about was the one we're talking about today. What a wonderful victory for school choice 
The money goes with the kid, basically, and that kid and family can choose wherever they want the money to go. This uh, the, the Carson versus Macon case. Let's tell my listeners about the background on this because this is something you are very familiar with because you filed the first lawsuit challenging the exclusion of religious schools from the school choice program 25 years ago. I did, actually. Yeah, it was a very gratifying uh, decision for me. Uh, Spain and Vermont, uh, unlike most states, have uh, a lot of states have school choice programs. Uh, Maine and Vermont have historically excluded religious schools from those programs uh, from the, the options available to parents. So the main program, which is for rural kids, kids in towns without high schools, uh, has been challenged many times as a violation of the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. And um, finally, uh, on Tuesday, the Supreme Court ruled that is correct, that the state doesn't have to set up a school choice program. But if it does, it can't exclude religious schools. That's religious discrimination, and religious discrimination is unconstitutional. Yeah, and th- that just makes perfect sense to me. And I just find it so odd that, you know, and I might point a finger at a certain political party, but the idea that y- y- the child wants to get out of a public school or it, one isn't available to them, that they want to go and get an education, why wouldn't you honor their wishes? I mean, you're not endorsing religion by allowing an individual free person with the First Amendment right of free exercise uh, the, 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 the right to pick that school. It, it's not an endorsement of that religion. It's just a recognition of the person's freedom to do that and get an education. That's just frustrating to me. Yeah, I think it's very frustrating. I mean, the fortunate news is 31 states now have school choice, and and only two of them were discriminating against religion. I mean, you are right, of course, that uh, I think that the opposition to school choice in in the United States as education policy doesn't make any sense. Parents, a new poll suggested something like... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 80% of parents want choices for their children or are unhappy with the choices that they're. Children have, and this poll is from last week. So parents really do want options. They choose religious schools overwhelmingly when given the option, and um, so it's it's not it's not just unconstitutional to exclude religious schools. It's nonsensical. Now, of course, it's really important for the listeners to understand that, contrary to what a lot of commentators on the left have said, and some of the dissenting justices, this case doesn't make anybody adopt any policy. It just says you have to be treat religion fairly in the policies that you do adopt. And it was it, the pronouncement of the court. Was it a violation of the free exercise clause to prohibit children from or parents from selecting the, the religious school? That's right. It's a violation of the free exercise clause to say to parents, you can go to any school you want, but not a religious school. And um, so that's a great victory. It's actually a victory. I think it's important in Ohio because you may know that the, the statewide um, voucher program, school choice program is being challenged by over 100 school districts right now. And one of the claims is that it violates the Ohio Constitution to send kids to private schools because the Ohio Constitution requires discrimination against religion. And um, that's wrong. And it's also <laughs> it's an unconstitutional argument. And the state, I mean, Carson versus Megan is important. And now this is in state court, but I think it's very important. It's a reminder to the judge 
um, this argument can't be endorsed because the Supreme Court has now three times said it's unconstitutional. Well, that just should result in summary judgment, right? <laughs> One can only hope. One yeah. can only hope. My uh, Notre Dame's Religious Liberty Clinic filed a brief in the case, so that's what we're hoping for. There, um, but, it, yeah, it's a great victory for parents. It's a great victory for religious liberty, and, and it's, um, it's just a reminder of the fact that people of faith and religious institutions are full citizens and they do great work in in the united states yes they do and of course with the scoring from public schools being miserable i mean i i weep for the children for example in baltimore's public school districts i mean they they can't read when they graduate from high school and how they can consider that an education it's it, it is just it's child abuse i mean honestly that's the only way i can come down on it nicole well i i think um it is terrible that so many of our schools serve our, the most disadvantaged kids um, so poorly. And I think the COVID has really illustrated this fact. There is new evidence out about COVID um, and remote learning. Now, private and religious schools tended to open up pretty quickly, but public schools stayed closed. And this evidence, this study from Harvard suggests the longer you were in remote instruction, the more you lost. And the, the people who suffered most from remote instruction or disadvantaged minority kids. Some of them lost effectively two years of, mm. of learning. Oh, that is just And hard. so parents have been demanding options. Parents want options because they saw this. I think that, that they see this, well, that these private and faith-based schools were, would do what they had to do to open, even if it was hard. Well, and the, uh, the the folks opposing this type of freedom are, of course, the teachers' unions, and the teachers' unions run the public schools that the pe- people in, are trying to get out of. Um, I, it seems to me that at some point the politicians who are beholden to the teachers' unions are themselves going to suffer at the ballot box because people have woken up to this sad reality. Well, I'm not a political uh, analyst. No, that's I what I do. do think, <laughs> I do see, I, you know, I think that the evidence suggests education – I mean, along with inflation and other things, is really one of the most important issues for for a lot of voters. So I do think that that is one of the reasons why you see more and more states expanding school choice over the opposition of teachers unions and the others who represent the public schools. Uh, last year alone, 2021, was the biggest year in school choice history. 20 states yes. and adopted or expanded choice programs. Some of those are now almost universal eligibility. And that happened, I think, because politicians were finally seeing that parents want options, in particular options last year that were going to instruct their children in person. Nicole Stell Garnett, you know this will result in a positive development at public schools because once they have to compete with the private schools and the religious schools, they might change their methods and they might do a better job of educating children and people will be less inclined then to leave the public schools. So the evidence suggests that the one thing that we know most about the effects of school choice is that it improves the performance of students in public schools. It's interesting because that was the original argument for for vouchers was it would be a rising tide that lifts all boats. And this is completely everyone laughs about it. This hurts the public schools. It hurts the kids in public schools. This is condemned. This is a stupid argument. But all of the research suggests that when schools are subjected to competition, public schools do better. Actually, it appears that the positive effects on public schools are maybe greater than the effects on the kids who leave them. Um, That competition actually does work, and monopolies don't provide a good product. 
Well, we, we in the free market in business all understand that, and that's what we need in education. And I can't thank you, Nicole Still Garnet, for your, t- your tireless advocacy on behalf of improving the education system for all children. It's been a pleasure having you on the program today, and someday I'd love to lo- uh, talk with you about uh, what it was like to clerk for uh, Cl- uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, because uh, we all ha- think the world of that man. Nicole? He's the best. He is great. <laughs> Nicole, so take care, and uh, have a wonderful weekend. Coming up, we're going to be talking about State Central Committee and uh, learn the importance of that. With uh, We're going to talk about the importance of State Central Committee. He also happens to be a candidate for State Central Committee in the uh, 8th District. Welcome to the program, George. It's good having you on today. Thanks greatly, Brian. It's nice to be here. I have, haven't been around for a while. It's uh, interesting times, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that, may you live in interesting times is not a uh, positive thing to have said to you. <laughs> portend some bad news. I think news. it's more of a curse from Shakespeare or yeah, something. No question about it. Uh, anyway, State Central Committee, you are running for the 8th District State Central Committee. Um, many of my listeners might not even understand what this Central Committee does, what it's all about, but it is a very important role. So let's start with what it is. So, yeah, um, we just had an election May 3rd. We're going to have another one August 2nd, which is kind of like, you know, the hidden primary in Ohio this year. Yeah. And state central committee is pretty much the only contested race in a lot of areas. And what it is, it's that's the group of people that are supposedly representing the voters to the Ohio Republican Party. So here in Hamilton County, we've got the the Hamilton County Party, uh, the precinct executives or the county central committee that was elected in in May uh, vote to, to say who's going to be the chairman and who are we going to endorse and things like that. But that's like 500 people. You know, it's one for each precinct in Hamilton County. So that's a ton of people, right? Right. And what they do at the state level is two people from every Senate district. So it's a man and a woman from 33 Senate districts in Ohio. And those people are meant to be sort of the board of directors for the Ohio Republican Party. You know, they, they're responsible for defining the, the core principles of the party. You know, what are our main objectives? How do we recruit new candidates? And, and, you know, how do we endorse and fund Republican candidates? So they actually have a fair amount of power in what happens in the state of Ohio. And so most people don't even know about it, but it, it's controlling who you see on the ballot and who gets endorsed. Uh, the current state central committee has a habit of endorsing in primaries, uh, which kind of takes away the choice. So they endorsed Mike DeWine for the May primary, right. which allowed, you know, $3 million plus dollars to flow to Mike DeWine from the state mm. party. And it's, it just seems, I, I call it incestuous, meaning, you know, of the 36 people that voted for Mike DeWine in the 66 people of the state central committee, 19 of them hold positions that were appointed and get paid for by the state of Ohio from Mike DeWine. Mm. So it's, it's this enormous conflict of interest that's going on. I think you've had Mark Bainbridge on the, on the show as mm. well. He's been talking about, you know, the accounting system they have. So, you know, on a off year, they, they get two, $3 million that flow through the state party on an on year, you know, uh, presidential election, they get significantly more. And I don't want to, I think Mark goes to the point of saying, you know, it's all missing money. I think it's just myth misallocated or they just lose track of it. But in any case, you know, what you would hope is that your board of directors would keep an eye on where the money's going and have the records. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but 
the the key thing is it's a double double whammy this year. Um, most people don't know there's an election happening in August, and most people don't know what state central committee is. But if you're if you're talking about you know how are we going to set the direction for Ohio? This is the group that determines that. So if people have some issues with the party platform, or obviously have issues with who's getting whose campaign is being funded and whose isn't, and, and it seems like there's no election that goes by where that particular point isn't an issue. It's like where in the hell was the Republican Party in this race? How come they weren't supporting this particular candidate in this race? Where they were missing in action? This is the group responsible for that. That's exactly correct, and. If you remember back in the Tea Party days when we would talk, I, I always come down to this idea that we need to have a core set of principles. And for the Tea Party, it was, it was great. I mean, what Mike Wilson set up there with, you know, fiscal responsibility, limited government, free, free markets. markets. Right. Those are your three principles. Everybody goes with that. You can't name those for the Ohio Republican Party. I mean, there's the obvious ones. We're pro-life. We're pro-Second Amendment. But those have become just you know, everybody says that you don't even know where they stand on the issues. And then you get someone that, you know, becomes governor and appoints a pro-abortion health director that then takes over the state during COVID. It, it, you know, you got to have this definition of what do we really stand for and, and how are we going to go after achieving that? And, and that's the part I think is key to all of this is, you know, what are the principles and, and those should come not from, you know, incumbent politicians. Those should come from the voters. You know, what are the voters saying in, are important? And if you look at anything that's going on now, it's things like, you know, the price of gas, the inflation price of food. Uh, we got to keep this sexual indoctrination out of our schools. You know, all of that is going to be set by, you know, what are your clear principles and how are you going to achieve them? Well, George, do the, does the Central Committee have any follow-up power uh, to hold politicians like maybe Mike DeWine accountable for their actions when they deviate from core po- uh, po- uh, Republican pr- principles that are very clearly outlined? Um, can they threaten the, you know, listen, Mike, uh, wh- well, I don't know what the hell you're doing over there, but you, you, you've got a, a, a pro-choice uh, person who's now taken right. over the helm of the government, um, we're not going to be funding you. We're not going to do this. We're going to come out against you. I mean, these are the kind of things that the, are these, does this discourse happen? I don't know that it does. It, it's interesting. I watched the February endorsement meeting online. They didn't allow the public in it. And in that meeting, um, it was clear that a large portion of the current state central committee basically holds the voters in contempt. I mean, they're talking about, we have to endorse. They wouldn't know what to do if we didn't. And it's like, that's the most obscene thing I've ever heard. It is. And, and But you have hit on the point. The way they can, can get the politicians to, to meet the, the stated principles is through funding. Uh, the state central committee controls an enormous amount of funds. The other key thing that is you watch what they do, they only endorse incumbents, and they really only pick at statewide offices. Meaning, you know, their spending in this next, you know, November election is going to be all focused on uh, governor, secretary of state, attorney general, and auditor. That's about it. We need them to focus on things like, oh, let's say judges. I mean, given what's happened in Hamilton County with the judicial races, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just so critical. And now we know what happens when, you know, one of the, quote, Republican Supreme Court justices decides she's a Democrat. I mean, it's it's thrown Ohio into chaos. 
And, and part of that is, I, I think the role of the state central committee is, hey, we need to find real conservative judges if, and we need to back them at the state and local levels. You know, people like Dinkelacker and, and the people in Cincinnati that lost in 2020, that was a ton of experience that we a lost. A lot. I they, think they need the support of the party. I think Joe Dieter said it was about 200 or 150 or 200 years worth of judicial experience thrown away in favor of what, like six years of judicial experience? And then you got a bunch of so left-winger social justice judges on there that aren't sentencing people, that are letting very, very evil people with you know gun offenses and charges on out. On the street. With, yeah, on the street and committing more violent acts. It's it's really just a, a sorry, sorry state of affairs. And thank God we've got Joe Dieters and at least locally. it's all being hidden from the public. It's it's crazy what's going on. There, there's been several murders of people that should have been in jail, you know, committed by the people that had already done something violent. They got off with a $500 cash bond. It, it's just absolutely ludicrous. And it's what happens when, you know, you don't have that that top-down support. And you got to get that message out to the voters. To me, that's the key thing. Again, like I say, you, you got to have someone who's willing to say, this is what we stand for. And here are the people that do that. And some accountability. George Brenneman, where do people find you online to make sure that they vote for you for state central committee? Well, we have a candidate site on our webpage, so it's restoredliberty.us, yep. and just click on candidates. You um, can see information there. I'm right uh, there right now. Do a quick plug. Right now. Real quick, real quick. And uh, we have a couple of events coming up as well, just from the Restored Liberty, not necessarily State Central Committee. Okay. So we're having a picnic on Tuesday in Delhi. And then on June 6th at the Parkland Theater, we've got Joe Knopp coming in to show the movie uh, The Trump I Know. Oh. So those are a couple of unique events that um, they're not necessarily going to be, there's no formal speeches. It's just a chance for people to get together and, and share stories. Fantastic. RestoredToLiberty.us. We'll add that site to the uh, webpage, 55krc.com. George Brenneman, best of luck in your uh, run for State Central Committee 8th District. I'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. Landing Event Center for event. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.